Guys, good morning, everyone. Um, let me take you back a few weeks. It was September 11th that we began a journey through this entire school year that we're calling Soul Speak. The idea behind it is unrooting, I think, this desire all of us have somewhere deep inside for, for connection and communication with God. It's unpacking our heart language, how God speaks, how to speak back, how to articulate it, and when we don't even know how. And what we're doing is looking at the, the, the psalms and prayers and laments and pleas and examples of how people have called on God through the Bible, hopefully by looking at them, helping us learn our own soul language as well. Today, we're taking a shift, another shift within that or another step may be a better way. Um, it's praying Jesus' way. Because if you're going to learn how to pray, who better to learn it from than the master, right? And uh, the, these next several weeks, we're going to be looking at how Jesus not only prayed, but taught how to pray. And, and that's the door that I want to open up today. Now, on this one occasion, Jesus is praying, and his disciples see him. And they kind of have this moment, I think. They have this moment of going, what's he doing? Now, they know what he's doing. I mean, we know when someone is praying, but, you know, how is he doing it? I mean, how does he actually do it? Lord, teach us how to pray. So they come to him and go, you know, Jesus, John's got disciples, and John kind of taught them how to pray. Um, would you teach us how to pray? Because I think the disciples learned something. I think they learned that even something as natural as prayer can still be learned and practiced and improved with technique. Jesus, show us how you do it. And that's the context for the story that I want to set up. Here, here it is. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And he finished, and one of his disciples said, okay, there it is. Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And so he said to them, well, okay, when you pray, say this. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day what we need in our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, God, because we do that. We forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation. All right, just take a stab at it, but does it look familiar? <laughs> right? It's where we get this thing called the Lord's Prayer, right? And what's interesting about the Lord's Prayer is in it, Jesus gives a technique. Because sometimes we just don't know what to say, have you ever found yourself in that place? I just don't know what to pray. There's emotions inside, there's feelings inside, there's yearnings, but have you ever struggled with being able to give words to them? Or, or, or maybe on the other side of things, have you ever found yourself in a rut where it feels like you're saying the same thing the same way and like, like all your words sound the same? And like you're just stuck in this, this perpetual cycle with no breaking out. And it's like there's got to be something more to say. The disciples were like that. Jesus comes to them and goes, here, let me show you a way to pray. 
Because sometimes we hit these times when we just don't know what to say. But what's fascinating about this story and about the way that Jesus uses the Lord's Prayer and what we're going to unpack with it here in a little bit is not only what he says, but the context in which he says it. So, he goes into after this. So, suppose if one of you has a friend And he goes to him at midnight, which is, of course, the natural time to go to one of your friends to ask for three loaves of bread. And says, you know, a friend of mine has come here on a journey. Thank you very much. You couldn't come at five. Um, And I have nothing to set before him. And the one on the inside does what any normal person should do. Go away. Don't bother me. The door is locked. My kids are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. And look at what Jesus says. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Straight up, have you ever wanted something from someone, but you felt too awkward to ask? And and so what you do is you kind of like make this roundabout, passive-aggressive, circuitous way of trying to get what you want without ever going and ask. And then you kind of sit back and you're dumbfounded why they didn't catch it. Have you ever had that moment? You know what I mean? Um, Sometimes I feel it's the story of my life. But have you ever had those people come to you and just like go, I want this. Can I have it? And it's like, you don't know what to do with it, right? What does Jesus say? Just come to God. I want it. Can I have it? Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess. Is, is that how like, God responds? But isn't that what he says? This is how you're supposed to pray. Because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And he goes on. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for everyone who asks receives. He who seeks find to him who knocks the door will be open. Which of you here, dads, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Which of you here, moms, if your daughter asks for breakfast... You're going to give him a scorpion. I mean, rock on if you do. But which of you would, right? If you, Jesus says, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Spirit to those who asks them? So what does Jesus say? He kind of sets up this idea that God wants you to ask him for things. God not only wants you to ask him for him, he delights in it. God wants us to come to him and be bold and ask bluntly and ask him for that which we want and need and that somehow there is this disposition in God that he likes it. He wants it. I mean, think about this. If this is true, we have hit the cosmic jackpot, Right? Because we have come to the one who is the power of the universe, who owns everything and has everything in his hand and says, and you know what, I I just like to give it away. I mean, can I please just ask and I delight in giving to you? And it's based on a persistence model. Keep asking. 
Keep asking. Come before me boldly. Ask for it. And we don't have to worry that, that God is going to like mess with us in the process. You know, we don't have to worry that God's going to go, oh, yeah, you, you want an answer prayer? Okay, I'll give you an answer prayer, right? And then dump some crap on us. It's like he's not like that. He's not like that at all. Do you want to learn how to pray? Let me tell you how to pray. You may be looking for certain words and certain phrases, but let me teach you beyond that what it means to pray. It's fascinating with Jesus, isn't it? We often go to him looking for this, and then he reveals that as something so much more. And he doesn't stop there. He, he keeps kind of going on with this. And he goes, okay, guys, let me, uh, let, let me push the envelope. Let me, let me tell you a parable to show you how you should do this and not give up. So he goes, in a certain town, there's a judge. And this judge neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to them, even though I don't fear God or care about men, she keeps bugging me. I'll see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord Jesus said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And if that's what he'll do, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, no. We'll see that they get justice and get it quickly. But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus invites us to pursue God in this so much that we even view God as an unjust judge himself. He's not. But he says, I want you to think about him that way. I want you to think about him like an unjust judge and wear him down. You come to him so much that God comes to the point, fine, if it will shut you up, I will give in. And Jesus says, learn to pray that way. Have you ever had this like with your kids or worse, like with your spouse? Um, we were, we were talking about this and thinking about this, and um, this, this clip came to mind. Why this lodged in my brain from like 1994 is like beyond me, um, but welcome to my mind. And I, I want to show you something today. Um, it just captures it for me. Take a look. Will you take us to Mount Splashmore? 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 Mount Splashmore? Mount Splashmore? Will you take us to Mount Splashmore? Will you take us to Mount Splashmore? If I take you, will you two make good bugging me? Yeah, of course. Well. Will you take us to Mount Splashmore? Yes! Thanks, Dad. And Jesus says, treat God that way. What is your Mount Splashmore? 
What is your Mount Splashmore? God says, come to me boldly, come to me relentlessly, wear me down until I give in to shut you up, right? Jesus says, when you pray, do you want to learn how to pray? Pray that way. Now, here's what's really weird about it. Jesus can be slippery at times, all right? And there's a strange paradox in the way that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. On one hand, we have this idea, and you saw it, right? Wear God down. Come to him relentlessly. Don't stop until he gives in. And yet, on another hand, Jesus says this. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans. For they think they're going to be heard because there are many words. Okay, wait, what? I mean, do you feel like a little bit of whiplash here? Didn't you just say to wear him down? Don't be like them. Who thinks that they'll be heard because of their many words? Don't be like them because God knows what you need. He knows before you even ask him. So this is how you should pray. Does it look familiar? I love that Jesus reuses his material. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, here on earth, just like in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Short, terse, sweet, brief. Get out of the way and leave it in God's hands. So how the heck am I supposed to pray? I mean, if we're going to learn from the master, the one who had more intimate communion and connection and conversation with God than anyone, shoot, the one that we're praying to, how are we supposed to pray? Do we wear God down? Do we chip away at him relentlessly, wearing him down boldly and relentlessly until he gives in? Or do we shut up and get out of the way and do, let him do his thing? Have you ever found yourself kind of in that pinch point? God, how do I pray? How do I talk to you? How am I, and, and it's more than like, how do I pray, right? How am I supposed to think about you? How am I supposed to live my life in relation to you? How do I position myself before you? Show me the way. And this is the real trick of theology, guys. It's the trick of life. Have you ever noticed that life isn't so much about knowing the right answer as it is about when to apply the right answer? And what I've learned with God is it's not so much knowing the right thing about God, but when to approach God in a certain way. It's not knowing so much about how to pray as knowing how God wants us to pray in a certain way in the context 
that we find ourselves in. Or maybe better put, it's not so much of a question of how to pray, but why to pray. And after we answer the why to pray, letting that spell out the rest. Let me give you two case studies here today. Two case studies to maybe illuminate both sides of this, of when to and when not to pray. When do we do this? When do we not keep on babbling like the pagans and trust God all the way? Those of you who have uh, spent any bit of time around me uh, know some of my um, mental illness. Just ask my wife and kids. I'm not going to get into all of it right now, but uh, um, when it comes to things like anxiety, off the charts, off the scale. I remember when I was going through all my battery of tests at the seminary, and they make you take psychological profiles here to kingdom come, and... um, sitting down with the counselor, kind of evaluating the tests. And it's not like I'm hearing anything I didn't know, but, but just getting him to verbalize back going, you know, we're looking at your anxiety chart, and do you realize that we, we don't even have measurements for where you're at? You know, have you ever been in that, that kind of place? I mean, if there is something to worry about, I can master how to worry about it. And I spent a lot of my younger life that way. I've grown up my entire life knowing God. Doesn't mean I always knew him well. Doesn't mean I always cared about him too much. But I can't remember a time in my life when I didn't believe in him and when he wasn't a very real presence in my own life or my home. All of our stories are not the same, but that's me. I grew up going to church, praying, learning how to pray. I grew up learning what it meant to seek him, to ask for things, to think about him in a certain way as a God who's good and delights to give. And I grew up out of my own disposition, running to him time and time again from my own anxieties and fears every step of the way, because that's what it is. It's fear. What is anxiety? making every what if a reality. I remember a time in my life, it was early high school, convinced that God was done with me, convinced I couldn't be forgiven, convinced in a strange kind of perverted way that it was up to me to get him to like me again, to get him to be favorable, just get him to forgive me. I remember getting lodged in my mind this idea that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That anyone who confesses their sins, God is faithful and just and will be forgiven. And, and, and growing up knowing that my life is full of it. Knowing by looking introspectively that I was full of it. I was. I was afraid that salvation would be taken away. So I pursued God relentlessly. I pursued him day and night. You know, Paul has this phrase in 1 Thessalonians. He says, pray continuously, right? And you always kind of just slough it off. Have you ever tried? I did. I remember for a nine-month period of my life, praying 
every moment of my waking day. Lord, forgive me. Lord, have mercy. I'd make mantras out of it. And it wasn't just some autopilot that was going. There was emotional investment there because when you're OCD like me, that kind of stuff comes very naturally. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Praying every day. And doesn't God himself say, wear him down. Pray relentlessly. Come before him all the time and in every way until he gives in. Was I praying? Question. Was I praying in a God-honoring way? See, I've come to the conclusion, thinking back in that time in my life and seeing it in other people, that some of us need to pray less. Because for some of us, prayer has become a substitute for faith. Because when you're OCD like me, it's all about control. And the reality is there's so much of life that's out of control. So you conjure things and you concoct things to hold on to, thinking that you can move it and manipulate it, thinking that you can sway it, thinking that somehow you can affect the outcome by whatever strange things you can create. And then when you overlay that with something that has the promise of prayer, guess I'll tell you, I look back on that, that wasn't faith. It was lack of faith. I look back on that, and you know what I imagine God was saying? Stop praying. Trust me. There was a time in our life when many of us need to pray less. Times in our life when we are not trusting God, when we're in doubt, when we don't really think that he's good, when we don't really think that he cares more about what we're going through than we do. Times in our life when we think of him the way the pagans of old thought of their gods, that they're disconcerted, disinterested, uninvolved, that we got to wear them down by our prayers. There are times in our life where God says, just get out of the way. Shut up, stop praying, and trust me. Okay? My suspicion is there are avenues of your life right now where you shouldn't be praying. There are areas that you should be trusting God more and praying less. Saying, God, you know what I need. You know what I want. It's in your hands. And walking away. Resting securely that it's better with him than with you. There are some of us who are sinning when we pray. And yet on the other hand, I'd like to share another story with you. There was a woman who came here to Fellowship of Faith. Her name was Sandy, and by dropping the name Sandy, some of you who have been with us for some time know immediately who I'm talking about already. And Sandy, shall we say, if you got into conversation with her, would babble on with you like the pagans? Sandy's been gone a few years now. But Sandy taught me something else about what it meant to pray. Sandy was married to this guy named Tom. Tom was a Vietnam vet. 
he had MS. He was in a wheelchair. And he was angry. He was angry at life. He was angry at God. He was just angry at anything that could be a lightning rod because Tom knew this is not the way it's supposed to be. He wanted nothing to do with God. He was checked out on Sandy. He'd sit there and hate anyone who had tried to help him. He would sit there and brood in his chair, waiting to die and probably even praying for it just to spite everyone around. And you know what Sandy did? She prayed for him. Every single day. She stuck by his side, she endured, and she prayed for that man in a way that I have seen few others ever pray. I got to know Sandy when she was in her 60s. She had been married to this man since she was in her 20s. And every day she prayed. For 10 years she prayed. Every day. And time got nastier by the day. For 20 years she prayed. Every day. It seemed like there was no answer. It seemed like God didn't care. It seemed like no justice was done, but she prayed. For 30 years, she prayed. And nothing happened. Have you ever felt like you're in that position in Sandy's way? And I remember this vividly. She would share with me how she would do this for him. And I got to tell you, it taxed her. I mean, this wasn't just like some, some perfunctory thing that she would add into her calendar every day. Oh, the alarm went off. Throw up a Hail Mary prayer. No, I mean, she fought for this man. She carried his burden. She prayed. I remember it vividly. Married, what, 35 years by this point. We were doing baptisms here at church. And a number of people in this church in a time of, of, of real need in this family went out and just gave some really physical, tangible help, cleaning up their place and fixing up their place. And it did something in Tom along the way. He tells Sandy, I want to come to this place. I want to thank these people firsthand, a place he's never set foot in before. We happened to be doing baptisms that day. And call it coincidence or call it orchestration of the Spirit, I don't care. We made this invite at the end of the day that if anyone else wanted to be baptized, they could come forward as well. I tell you, before the words left my lips, Tom, who was sitting kind of right back there, right where you guys are in the back, before the words left my lips is fighting his way up there, rolling that chair to get to the front. And Tom gets up and goes, I want to be baptized today. Something shifted in Tom's life in that little season. A man who was, who was bitter began to soften. I saw a man who was, who was angry at God and angry at life and angry at everything. start to turn and open up to his wife and to God and to others that day. Tom stayed in the chair. MS didn't go away. But what's fascinating is that something more profound began to happen in Tom that day. The man who once was almost ceased to be in something new 
that was good and tender and kind began to happen in him from that day. He was a man who went from despair to hope. A man who still had to endure but began to set his eyes and his hope on Jesus that day. And every day that woman prayed. Now she should have just walked away and go, don't babble on like the pagans I asked God once. He knows. He knows I need it. He knows Tom needs it. Should she have walked away? Or was God inviting her to fight for him every single day? When do we pray in such a way that we wear God down? Jesus actually said it. But did you catch it? Let me go back a couple slides here today. Oh, I just hit the Simpsons again. There we go. Grant me justice against my adversary. Will not God bring about goodness, righteousness, justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? When does God want us to wear him down? When we pray for what God wants us to pray. To pray for justice and goodness and his will to be done. It's those times in life when we look and realize that it's not the way it's supposed to be. That God's kingdom is not manifesting that all that God intended is far, far away. It's to come and say, God, you promised. God, it's not the way you want. God, bring it here this day. And I wonder if we were to bring the same fervency that we bring to the prayers that we offer to God for the things that I want, to the things that God wants, what would happen in this world today? There is a time to shut up. And there is a time to wear him down. And the real trick that Jesus invites his disciples to learn is not just how to pray, but why to pray. And when we figure out why to pray, to approach him the right way in that. Now here's the bad news. I don't have a formula for you. And here's the good news. It's because God is not a formula. He's a person. And like any person with the complexities of relationship, he wants you to approach him in that way. Learning what will cause him to relent learning when to trust him and get out of the way. This is what Jesus is getting at when he teaches his disciples to pray. So good luck with that. 
but you've got a God who will walk with you every step of the way and let you figure it out with him. Prayer is one of the most intimate, complex, soul-tapping things that there is. And God invites us to come to him. Boldly, relentlessly, and yet trusting him every step of the way. So, um, these next few weeks, we're going to be getting into his technique. Coming out of the why and into the how and, and what that can show us along the way, I invite you to, to come along with us in that. For now, I just want to invite you to rise. Band's going to come forward. Today we're going to commune. Uh, but before we do, maybe it's just, uh, let's get out of the way of all of it and just pray the way he taught his disciples to pray. Would you join with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, you invite us to come to you, to come to you boldly, to ask you for what we want and for what we need, and to learn to ask you for the things that you want and for the things that you want our lives in this world to be. Forgive us, God, when we doubt that you are good when we doubt that you care. Forgive us, God, when we fail to trust you. And when our, forgive us, God, when our prayers become relentless babbling as a cheap substitute for faith. And yet forgive us, God, for when we're more interested and what we want than what you want. Forgive us for being more relentless and passionate about our agenda than yours. Forgive us, God, when our hearts are far from the things that you desire and crave. Forgive us for our apathy in that, for not seeking you for the sake of others for the sake of what's good and right in this world. God, teach us to pray. So here, all 
the junk that we carry here today, all the sin and the baggage and the distortion. Hear us as we pray. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. But for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Jesus invites you to believe that the great God and Father in heaven thinks of you in that way, like your Father to trust him, to come to him, that he loves you and cares for you and protects you so much that he sent his son to die for you, that any wedge between you and him has been washed away, that you can come before him boldly, that you can call on his name without shame, fear, or regret. All in Jesus' name. Amen.